Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. We are in the midst of a study on giving and, and really what it means to cultivate generosity. And we're going to talk more specifically this morning through a couple of passages that talk about the principles of tithe and offerings. But if you, if you haven't been with us for the first two, I invite you to go back in one of our podcasts uh, or on, online on YouTube, or you can go to our website and you can find either video or you can find audio of the, the things that we've already looked at. The first week we looked at the principle of God owns everything, I am his money manager or steward. The second week, what we looked at was where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we looked at um, Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus' words there. Um, But this morning, we're going to look more properly at tithing. Uh, But before we do that, I want to invite my friends Colleen and Jay to come up here, and they're going to be sharing a testimony of God's faithfulness to them as they have learned to trust him with the very tangible things of life. And so could we just say good morning to them. Good morning, friends. I'm glad to have the opportunity to just share with you um, some of the ways that God has blessed us through our 31 years of marriage. Um, Early on, God impressed upon our hearts that we needed to be obedient and to tithe, um, not only on our income, but also our increase, um, meaning Things like life insurance, benefits, um, inheritance, work bonuses, whatever. Anytime he increased our well-being, we gave on that. And there's been a lot of times over the years where we've had situations that didn't really make sense financially, but we knew it was what God wanted us to do. Um, So we we obeyed. Um, When our son was born, I felt very strongly that I needed to stay home with him and raise him. And that meant giving up a full-time income. And I wasn't really sure how that was going to work, but um, it it worked out fine. We didn't lack for anything. Um, Again, when he was older, we felt that God was calling us to put him into Christian school. And it was the same thing. I had no idea where it was in the budget, but I knew that we needed to obey. And same thing, we were provided for, and his education was provided for, and, and it just Really, there was no like blip on the screen. Come 2018 was, was the real gut check. Um, after what we thought was a cold for a month, we learned that Jay's heart um, had failed to the point where he needed a heart transplant. And I will tell you in all honesty, that was my probably worst freak out moment in life. I was terrified that I was gonna lose him And I was terrified that the financial implications of transplant and even the cost of maintaining a transplant afterwards was just going to ruin us financially. But we stayed faithful and continued to give on the income that he had provided. And once again, nothing really changed for us financially. He took care of us. One of the ways he took care of us was through you through meals, through gas cards, um, through monetary gifts that helped out with medical bills. Um, God was faithful. One of the um, names of God is Father, Abba, Daddy. And anyone here who's either had children or has taken care of a child knows 
it is so much easier to bless them when they're obedient than when they're not. And I have to say, there's been very few things in my life that have given me greater joy than to bless my son. And I feel that God is the same way with us. He wants to bless us so much, and it is so much easier if he does that when we're obedient. So I would just encourage you that if you have um, fear or reservations about giving, fear that your financials aren't going to survive it, that you won't make your house payment, that you might go hungry, I just challenge you to trust God and just believe that he loves you and that he's going to take care of you regardless of the situation. Thank you. I love that because that's real life. Jay is what, three years post-transplant as of this week? They've been through a lot, and they're not the only ones in our church who've been through a lot over the course of the last several years. But the joy in learning how to trust God when it hits even our wallet is a measure of where our walk is at with the Lord. And and if you're like Jay and Colleen, if you're like me, frankly, you're growing in that and you're learning that because the journey of trusting Jesus and the journey of worship is ever increasing, ever increasing. And I'm so thankful that God is so gracious to us even when we miss the boat on some things. In fact, just recently, uh, there was something that after it happened, I went, man, I think I missed the boat on that. But you know what? God's mercy is new again. His grace is new again. And so as we talk about tithes and offerings today, what we want to do is we want to look at it from a biblical perspective. And, and it's always hard as a pastor to talk about money because you don't want to be like, oh, they just want money. That's not it at all. It's actually, we want all of God's people to experience a closer walk with him because when it comes down to it, um, what we, how we steward the things God has entrusted to us is an issue of the heart and it's an issue of worship. And that's what Colleen and Jay were getting at there. So if you would open up in your Bibles with me Um, And we're going to actually be starting, we're going to go through several passages. Towards the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 14, we're going to start there. uh, And we're going to work our way through a couple of different passages. We're not going to read every passage. And if you'd like a list of these, I will be happy to give that to you later. But Genesis chapter 14. Um, when we talk about the idea of tithes and offerings, um, there's numerous references to these in the scriptures. Um, when we talk about tithes, the first place that we get the idea of tithe, and tithe basically means tenth, is here in Genesis chapter 14. You'll notice um, here that, that Abram, uh, formerly, or he, he will eventually be called Abraham, but, but he's um, been in covenant with God from Genesis chapter 12. And Abram's nephew, his name is Lot, gets basically um, taken away as a captive from where he lived. And as Abram goes to run after them and chase the kings who took off his nephew Lot, and he brings them back to where they were living, what he does is he stops, and he stops at a place called Salem, uh, which is uh, modern-day Jerusalem, and he stops to give a tithe. In other words, he stops to give a tenth in worship to God. God, um, a priest whose name is Melchizedek. Now, we could spend the next month talking about Melchizedek. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But what I want you to know is that, or what, what I want you to notice here in the text, in, in Genesis 
chapter 14, um, he brings this tithe to Melchizedek. 18 says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. That is a reference to the Lord God. He blessed him and he said, Abraham is blessed, or Abram is blessed high creator of heaven and earth and i give praise to god most high who has handed over your enemies and abram gave him a tenth or he gave him a tithe of everything he's going to go on to give everything back to the kings that uh, had been captured because he doesn't want his name to be that which someone else has um, benefited or, or, or given anything towards which you'll read there in the following context but this is the first mention of tithe if you flip in your bible verses later to Genesis chapter 28, um, we'll get a second mention of tithe in the scriptures. In Genesis 28, um, Jacob is getting ready to go to his mother's ancestral house up in Padan Aram. So he leaves the place where his father and his mother and his brother, who kind of wants to kill him, are at. And as he's leaving, God meets him at a place. And there's this whole stairway thing that happens in verse uh, 12, the stairway to heaven. And then as he comes to the end of this, it says in verse 20, at this place called Bethel, which means house of God, um, he says, then Jacob, verse 20, made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he will provide me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you, and he's talking to God, will give to you a tenth of all that you give to me. What I want you to notice is these are voluntary, um, free will givings of both Abram and Jacob to say, God, everything I have is yours. God, here it is. And sometimes when we think about the idea of tithe or we think about the idea of offering, we can have this idea of if I don't do this, then this. Or if I do this, then maybe God will love me more. Maybe God will accept me more. And I love what Dr. Robin Rutledge says about sacrifice in the Old Testament in one of his books. He says, in the Old Testament, sacrifices are gifts to God and are meant to please him. They are not bribes to pacify him or enlist his help, but they are expressions of praise. They acknowledge his glory and power and are offered not to overcome his reluctance, but in recognition of what he has done in the past and in the need to depend on him for the present and the future. Note this, the Old Testament strongly resists any idea that sacrificial rites or religious formulae can be used to, ben, to manipulate God, right? When, when Abram gives, he gives because he says, what else can I do but give to the one who has redeemed my nephew Lot and brought him back safely? When Jacob gives, now he's, he's kind of in a sense testing God here. He says, God, if you keep your promise, if you bring me back, then I will absolutely follow in worship and praise. And even to the 10th of what I own, I will declare that you, Yahweh, are my God, my keeper, my protector. So when we think about this, though, I want us to just understand from the Hebrew point of view, these are not ways to cajole God into something. It's not ways to try to twist God's arm or to make him love us more. They, they are simply 
acts of worship that are done unto God because he alone is worthy. And because those offering these um, tithes and offerings are recognizing, God, you own it all, but I'm going to show you that I recognize that by trusting you, by giving you this. Now, when we come to the idea of tithe, um, the word tithe in Hebrew is ma'aser. Can you say ma'aser? Ma'aser, it's a fun word to say. We looked at the one, me- the one thing there in Genesis chapter 14. We also looked at Genesis 28 where Jacob has his vow to Yahweh. The next place I'd like us to look for a moment is in Numbers 28. So a couple books over into the book of Numbers, um, chapter 18. Sorry, not Numbers 28, Numbers 18. I apparently cannot read this morning. Numbers 18 would be a great place for you to turn if you're able. And there's Bibles in the pew in front of you as well. Uh, If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Numbers chapter 18. And here you're going to find another way that this idea of tithe is used. And so there's kind of a progression of how this is being used. For Jacob and for Abram, uh, it wasn't commanded of God. But in Numbers 18, we'll notice that when it comes to this idea of tithe here, God is actually going to say, Israel, my people who have come into relationship with me, here is what I want you to do as part of your walk in trusting me and knowing who I am. We're not going to read this whole thing, but look just briefly. Numbers 18, you will see in verse 21. Um, it says, look, I have given the Levites every tenth in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work that they do, the work of the tent of meeting." So what, what happened here is that God set apart a specific tribe from within Israel, the Levites. And instead of receiving a portion of land when they went into um, the promised land, what they do is they receive a special, um, a special work from God. And they're going to meet regularly and care for the temple. Not temple at that point. At that point, it's a, it's a movable um, house of worship. And they're going to care for that. And they're going to make sure that the things are taken care of, that sacrifices are, are being made. And they're going to help people make sacrifices as part of the slaughtering and all this kind of stuff. So God says, you don't get a tribal portion, but as you minister to the people who are around you, I want the people around you, the remaining 11 tribes of Israel, to give a tenth to you in return for the work that you do. And then he goes on to say that this is a permanent statue for you throughout your generations. Verse 24, for I have given them the tenth that the Israelites present to the Lord as a contribution for their inheritance. This is why I told them that they would not receive an inheritance among the Israelites. So the Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Levites and tell them when you receive receive from the Israelites the tenth I have given you as part of your inheritance. You must present part of it as an offering to the Lord, a tenth of a tenth. And so he's saying to the Levites, when you receive the tenth from the tribes, take then a tenth of that tenth, and that's going to be your way to worship me by giving it to the work of God. And you can keep reading down here. Look at verse 30. Um, There's offerings given that he mentions in verse 30 says, tell them further, once you have presented the best part of the tenth and it is credited to you Levites as the produce of the threshing floor or the wine press, then you and your household may eat it anywhere. It is your wage in return for your work at the tent of meeting. 
You will not incur guilt because of it. You have pre- because once you have presented the best part of it, you must not defile the Israelites' holy offerings so that you will not die. So he's setting up a worship system. And the amazing thing about this is when he takes Israel out of Egypt, he actually leads them out of one of the most religious cultures in the world at that time. If you were to go look at ancient Egypt, you'll find that there's a God to this and a God to that. And there's temples all around worshiping Ra, the sun god, or worshiping the god of the Nile, or worshiping uh, the god of the, name it, 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 they're they're everywhere. Um, But he wants to teach them in the midst of them coming out of a very polytheistic environment, what it means to worship the Lord their God alone. And so he's going to say to them, I want you to take the best of what you have. I want you to take this and I want you to give this up as an offering to me. So that's another way that this word ma'aser is used in the context of tithe. The last one I want to look at uh, for, for now is in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14. You'll see that this kind of just progresses as it goes throughout the scripture. Um, There's kind of continuing revelation here, given the circumstance and given what's going on. Deuteronomy 14 is another place where this idea of ma'aser, or tithe, is used. And it's used specifically to describe an annual celebration in Jerusalem that the people were to come up and to to make and to celebrate. Um, Verse 22. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Each year you are to set aside a tenth, a ma'aser, of all the produce grown in your fields. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock in the presence of Yahweh your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. Here's why. So that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. Now, when we think of the idea of fearing the Lord our God, you could translate this word respect, or you could also translate it worship. This is a worship concern for God because he knows how how quickly people become attached to things and they become attached to security and how that can stand in the way sometimes of of us giving proper worship to the one who has redeemed us. So he chooses to have his name dwell so that you will always learn to fear, to worship, or to... um, to fear, to worship, or the other word, respect um, the Lord your God. He says, but if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where Yahweh your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, he says, then exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money, he says, on anything you want, cattle, sheep, wine, beer, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord. Okay, so the feast that he's calling them to is not just for their own pleasure. It's actually that they might feast within the presence of the Lord because they're in the proximity of um, the temple. He says, and t- uh, in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice with your family. He says, do not neglect the Levite within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance among you. So there's this idea of Levite that comes back. He says, at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year, store it within your gates. Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, within your gates may come, eat, and be satisfied. And the Lord your God will bless you in the work 
um, in all the work of your hands that you do. So what's he saying here? Well, with this particular reference to Maaser, to tithe, he's basically saying, I want you to bring a tenth and I want you to come up for an annual celebration at the place where I choose have my name dwell, i.e. that will be Jerusalem in the scripture. And he, he says, I want you to yearly take a tenth to set it aside, and I want you to come there, and I want you to worship, and I want you to, to, to learn to walk with me, and I want you to bring tithe in, not only for yourself, but for your family, that you may consume it together. And not only that, I want you to make sure that the poor and the foreigner and the fatherless and those who don't have any land also have have their needs cared for in addition to the Levites who have no portion. So when we, we talk about this idea of tithe, there's a lot of different layers to it. And I want you to see there's a lot of different layers that are guided by the context. And in all of these, um, well, in these last two, these are specific um, commands that God gives to Israel so that they may know him, that they may worship him, that they may learn who their God is. It, it becomes both a celebration, but it also becomes a, a remembering of how they can trust God in every bit of their life. So w- we could summarize it this way. When we talk about tithes, there's essentially three types of tithes that the scripture talks about. There's the ma'aser rishon, which is given to the Levite, who in turn tithes the to the priest, Numbers 18, we read that. Um, there's the Ma'aser Shani, which is consumed in Jerusalem through an elaborate feast, and, and it's gathered around the temple, Deuteronomy 22. Finally, we have the Ma'aser Ani, Ani means poor, so the offering to the poor, uh, distributed to the poor, to the widow, and to the orphan. So when we think about tithes, here's the Old Testament perspective on what the tithe was for. When we talk about offerings, so oftentimes in church you might hear tithes and offerings. When we talk about offerings, there's essentially three broad categories of offerings in the Bible. There's gift offerings, there's fellowship or communion offerings, sometimes these are called peace offerings, and then there's sacrifices for sin. Uh, sacrifices for sin would be like the, the offering that's given on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. That would be one of those uh, examples. Turn in your Bibles briefly to, back to the book of Numbers, to Numbers 28. I told you we'd be kind of going back and forth, but I want, I want you to see that there's a lot behind when we talk about tithe and offering, and we will make some practical application in the moments to come. So, Numbers 28 In Numbers 28, um, we find what's called part of the civil code of Israel. This is, uh, one scholar puts it this way, these these are the kind of rules that God gives Israel for how to get along on the 40-year camping trip and as they come into the promised land. He's trying to kind of put some barriers around these people because they had lived in a certain society for so long and he's wanting to teach them, here's what the heart of God looks like for you and here's how you engage in worship to the Lord. And so we have many offerings that are given here and they're given to Israel to be part of uh, engaging in. We'll see that in the first couple verses here. Um, and there's a word that, that is used to describe offering, and, or a word that's used often with regards to offering. It's this idea of korban. And you'll see this word in the, in the thing that we're going to read in just a moment. But the idea of korban means offering or it means gift. And it comes from a root that means to come closer or to approach. So the idea is this. 
as they, as Israel would offer an offering to God, it's not to appease him or to pacify him. It is to come closer to him. It's a way of learning to trust. And the amazing thing about our God is that he's a God who wants us to come closer to him. In fact, the whole of scripture after the fall is a story of God coming down to be with his people. After Adam and Eve sinned, what, one of the significant things that happened is they were driven out of the presence of God with whom they enjoyed unending fellowship, where God would walk with them in the cool of the day, the scripture says. And now that, that closeness is broken because of sin. And so, um, but, so God, we see constantly coming down to meet with his people. He comes down to make a covenant with Abram. He comes down um, to live amongst the people of Israel in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the movable sanctuary. He comes down, in fact, the New Testament says it this way, that Jesus, he, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one only full of grace and truth, John chapter 1 says. So we see this movement of God coming down because he knew that there's no way that we could get up to him, and he came down, and he offered his life. And even now, while Jesus, when he's getting ready to go away, he says, I must go away, but I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you into truth. And so he hasn't left us as orphans, but we also await a time in which Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will return again for his people. And what an amazing picture, again, of God coming down. Because God wants us to experience a closer walk with him. This is all about one's relationship with God. It's, it's all about worship here. And this idea of korban or drawing near or, or approaching is part of what's described here. But notice with me, there's a small mini sermon in the middle of the sermon. Um, Numbers 28 says this in verse 3 verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, command the Israelites, so there's who we're talking to, and say to them, be sure to present to me at its appointed time my offering and my food as my fire offering a pleasing offering or aroma to me and say to them, this is the fire offering that you are to present to the Lord. So when he's talking about offerings here, it's this idea of korban. It's, it's picturing c coming closer, c coming into worship, coming before the throne of the one who had come down to them. And what I want you to notice is a couple things. Number one, it says here, it says, come to me at an appointed time. All right, what are these appointed times? Well, there's going to be multiple ones that are given here by God to Israel in the context. And I won't read all these, but you'll notice in, um, in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, or verse 4 there, we have what are called daily offerings that are to be made. These are, these are whole burnt offerings up to God. Then you find in verse 9 that there's Sabbath offerings. Then you find, so that's once a week. So you've got daily, you've got once a week. In verse 11, you've got monthly offerings. At the beginning of your month, present a burnt offering to the Lord. And then we go to offerings for Passover. Now, Passover is a, is a festival that um, 
Jewish people celebrate. It occurs in the spring, uh, in the month of Nisan, which is about uh, March or April, depending on how the calendars uh, go, because we're on two different types of calendars. Um, but so they would have a celebration, and it would mark the beginning of their year, God says in Exodus chapter 12. And they would come and they would celebrate, they would worship before God in Jerusalem, and they would have a big feast. So you have the first of a bunch of celebrations here. You've got Passover in verse 26. You've got Shavuot, or the Festival of Weeks, which happens 50 days after that. In chapter 29, you have the Festival of Trumpet Offerings that is going on. In um, verse 7 of chapter 24, you have what's called the Day of Atonement, the highest holiest day of the year within Judaism. Um, where the high priest goes into the holy place back in the time to, to offer blood on the, um, on, on the Ark of God. And then you have the festival of booths or Sukkot, which happens in the fall. And so you get this idea of God has a sense of rhythm. He says, I want you to offer this daily. I want you to offer this weekly. I want you to offer this monthly. And now as we look at our calendar year, Passover, Pentecost, um, Day of Atonement, um, festival of um, uh, the last one, <laughs> the tents, the building and booths, Sukkot, there we go. Um, God is placing Israel on a calendar by which they would regularly come up to Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God dwelled in the Hebrew Bible um, in, in that time. He wants them to come up regularly. Why? Because he wants them to meet with him. He wants them to experience, not just bring in an offering, but to experience his presence and, and, and to do it together, and to experience worship. And so you have tithes, which we've talked about. You now have offerings that are given regularly because the regular giving of an offering is another way to say, God, all I am is yours. All I have is yours. God, you are in control of my life. And God, I trust you. There's this pattern, this appointed time that God institutes for Israel. I don't think that that's necessarily instituted for us today, but the principle is there. God wants to meet with you and I regularly. He wants to meet with us in such a way that we leave going, wow, we serve an amazing God. So, so it's good to gather regularly for worship. It's good to have a regular time in which you open up the scriptures or in which you sing aloud to the Lord or in which you, you memorize words of his, of, his, of his scripture, of the Bible, because it reminds you of who he is and it reminds you of who you are and it puts your eyes fixed upon Jesus in a world where it's so easy with with a scroll or with anything to have our eyes fixed on the things that are of this world. This is the purpose of tithes and offerings. Let me make some just kind of summary thoughts or some summary principles about offerings here. Tithe was prioritized giving 10% of produce, flocks, and other things to be an expression of worship and allegiance to Yahweh. It was a physical expression that all they had was dedicated to the Lord. It was a provision for servants, i.e. the Levites, within the sanctuary of the Lord. And it was provision for the poor, the foreigner, the widow, and those who had no inheritance. It was a practical way for the people of Israel to care for those less fortunate within their midst. Ultimately, it was an intentional way of walking with God and by placing him first in their life. And this was felt so deeply because for, um, for the ancient Jew, they wouldn't just, you know, go to their bank account and write a check. 
The reason God says in the Torah, and, and if you're bringing stuff and you can't carry it, you can exchange it into money, is because they're bringing, like, if, if they grew olives, they'd be bringing a basket of olives, of the best olives they have before the Lord. And if they're bringing a sheaf of, of wheat or of grain, in fact, uh, Passover and um, Sukkot, the, the, the fall feast, they happen at really important times. Actually, all three major feasts happen at very important harvesting times so that Israel could also celebrate by saying, God, here's the first of this. God, here's the first of this. God, here's the first of this. He wanted them to regularly be reminded even the gift of being able to cut a grain or a shaft of barley from the field. That's, that's a gift from God. And so they're bringing like barley and they're bringing wheat and they're bringing sheep and they're bringing um, bulls and they're bringing rams. And, and so you can imagine the cacophony. They're not writing a check. They're like, hey, you got, you got the sheep right over there. You know, you can imagine a family coming in, a dad telling his son, hey, you have the olives, right? Okay. All right. He's telling his other son, you have the lamb, right? Okay. We just got to make sure we've got this all covered because we're going to worship the Lord and we're bringing the best of what we we have. Not out of a compulsion to try to be made righteous before God, but because what else can we do but offer the very best to remember that everything we have belongs to God. We do get some instances in the New Testament, and actually the New Testament does not talk much about tithe. Um, one of the places it is mentioned is not a great place um, because one of the things um, Jesus says, it, he's rebuking the religious leaders. He says, you tithe your dill and your mint and your cumin. I don't know if some of you might, might cook here. Dill, mint, and cumin are all very, very small. <laughs> and so what he's saying is, he's saying to the Pharisees, he says, you're meticulous about making sure that that tithe is taken off the top of that. He says, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. You've forgotten what it means to love. You've forgotten what it means to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I'm paraphrasing from the book of Micah there and also Jesus' point from the Gospels. The idea is this, though. Rightly understood, tithing and offering is not something that's done out of compulsion. It's something that's done out of God how can I worship you with everything I have? I gave you the principles that we've studied thus far. The first one um, that we looked at a couple weeks ago was that God owns everything and I am his manager. The second one was where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the third one here is taken from Randy Alcorn in his book. And it says, giving is the only antidote to material. If you think about materialism, materialism is simply the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Let me read that again. Materialism is the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. The point of tithes and offerings, besides providing for things, or maybe through providing for things, was for God's people to be regularly reminded that what matters most is their spiritual walk with God. And what flows from that then becomes marked by, by a generous spirit and a joyous spirit, a sacrificial spirit, whereby we say, God, I trust you in this. 
That, that's Jane Colleen's story. God, we believe that you have called us to this. We want to trust you in this. And it becomes a way of worship because it becomes a way in the midst of a world that says, get all you can, get while you have, and what matters is the stuff. You, you, you may have seen the, um, the bumper sticker, the, the one who, how's it go? The one who dies with the most toys wins. That was years ago. And then I always liked it because every now and then you'd see the bumper sticker that says, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> and when we think about it, this idea of gathering and sometimes hoarding and protecting is, is seen on the outside, perhaps, but it's really just an amplification of where's our heart? Are, are we trusting God in the midst of what he's given us? Are we being faithful to the things God has called us to be faithful in for his glory? When we look at the New Testament teaching on giving, and we can say more, and we'll, we'll say some more next week about it too. I think there's four, four principles that stem from what the scripture would have us to understand about what it means to give and why we give faithfully unto the Lord. Um, and these principles are, um, or the ways to cultivate generosity is through generous, joyous, proportional, and regular giving. Generous, joyous, proportional, and regular giving. And we've looked at some of the passages that deal with this. For example, Pastor Tom, several weeks ago, taught out of the book of Acts in chapter 2. And we see there that the early church was devoted to one another. And the idea of, of fellowship there, the word koinonia, can also be used in the New Testament to describe a contribution. And the early church was so marked by the grace of God and they were so radically other-centered in how they lived that they, that they looked at the spiritual needs, and they looked at the physical needs of the believers around them, they said, I can meet that need. <clears throat> in fact, in following chapters, I think it's chapter four and chapter five, you see people who actually sell portions of land in order to meet the needs um, of people within their midst. Um, and, and I think they did that not out of compulsion. They did that out of obedience because God had said, hey, you see that? Mm. And God's spirit had moved their heart in such a way, and they said, I can do that. Um, there's also a story, I think it's Acts 5, where a couple does that. They sell a piece of land, and then they're not honest about it. And that story doesn't go, um, that story doesn't go super well uh, with the names of Ananias and Sapphira there, because they weren't honest before God. Um, that's a story for, for a different day. Um, but the idea is that the early church was devoted to one another, and they were devoted to God's kingdom work, both in Jerusalem, but then eventually to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Another picture that we get of sacrifice within the New Testament comes from Romans chapter 12, where, where Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of what God has done for you, he says, offer yourselves. This is sacrificial language. This is offering language. He says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So for the New Testament believer, one of the things that we offer to God, in fact, the most important thing we offer to God is we offer him him ourselves. And by offering him ourselves, we are offering him everything that is underneath the stewardship that he has given us. So if you're a young person, you've just started your first job, God is saying, I want you to offer all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of the money that you just made. 
and be obedient to what God would lead you to do to cultivate and to steward a generous life. He would say that to the person who's been working for many years to offer yourself to God in every aspect. That's not the only passage that talks about giving or principles of giving. In 1 Corinthians 16, you don't need to turn there. Paul encourages the church in Corinth to set aside weekly monies. He says, set it aside weekly so that when I come, it will be ready. Because he knows that like people do, like we do, um, if you don't set it aside, if you don't purpose it from the beginning, it's really easy to come to the end of the month and say, I'm out of money. But when you set it aside and you set it aside first for whatever, for the purposes God has that for, it's there, it's ready to be used for God's glory at any point in time. And it's a stewardship of your heart. So in Acts 16, he says, get that money ready. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And the church there was experiencing great persecution. And finally, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians 9 a couple weeks ago. You can go back to this, but I just want to reiterate one point. It says there that we have been enriched for all generosity. In, in other words, God loves to give more to his people so that they can give more to the things that matter to the heart of God. Because again, this is about stewardship. So how do we apply this? How do we cultivate this kind of lifestyle? Well, it's spirit-led, Right? Uh, I, I don't want to stand here and say, and now you must, and now you must, and now you must. But I will say this. Spirit-led giving, I don't think we can outgive God. I, I actually think when it says that God loves a cheerful giver, and he loves a generous giver, that it's really hard to be more generous to a God and to his kingdom purposes than he has been generous to us. And so what should always be, in my view, is... God, how can I give more? God, how can I be more generous with what you've given me? Generous giving is one way in which we learn to worship God. Now, the idea of generosity here doesn't necessarily give a specific number. But just remember, most of us will probably struggle with being more stingy than we will be, uh, than we will struggle with being generous. And I say that about myself you can access one of my stories from last week in which I try to practice generosity, which is hard for me, if I'm honest. But also, attitude matters. Joyous giving. When you give, whether it be giving to the needy, whether it be giving in, in, in an offering to the local church, give joyously. It's not a way to hold it and say, I've controlled this and I'm more important because of this. It's, it's, no, it's God's. <laughs> It's God's. Give joyously. God, you've given to me. I graciously and I generously and I joyously give back to you. This isn't paying taxes. You get to join God in what he is doing around the world. And it comes, joy comes not by your circumstance, but it comes by knowing that you belong to God and that he supplies everything that you and I need. So generous giving, joyous giving, proportional giving. It's, it's interesting to me that Israel brought tithes and offerings in accordance with what they made. God didn't say with regard to tithe. He didn't say, all right, and then you give two sheep and you give four sheep. He just said a tenth, like easy math. A tenth, you have 10 sheep, one of those sheep. I don't know what happens if you have five sheep. I guess you'll figure it out. But you, <laughs> sorry, um, my brain sometimes. Um, but, but, but you have 10 sheep. One of those sheep is being dedicated to the purposes of God. You, you have 10 baskets of olives. One of those baskets is being dedicated from the beginning to the purposes of God. And I think that's a really helpful principle for us from Scripture. Give proportionally. 
Honestly, 10% is a great place to start. If, if you haven't um, given much in the past, or if you don't have a regular pattern, first of all, go to, go to God in prayer and say, God, what would you have us give? How would you have us steward the things you've given us? And if you're like, I don't know where to start. I really, just from personal experience, start with 10% and seek to be obedient to wherever the Lord leads you from there. Maybe it'll go up to 15. Maybe it'll go up to 20. In the time of Jesus, actually, if you count up all of the different offerings and tithes that they were giving, they were giving at the time of Jesus more than 20% of the things that they made in, in offerings of worship unto God. So um, proportional giving is a principle here. And then regular giving. We, we talked about this. God sets a time schedule for Israel because regular giving reminds you to give. And even if you only give a check of a couple of times a year, be, be incredibly intentional about when you receive something, it gets set aside. Because that's a way that you say, no, I'm saving aside the first part of this because I want to be reminded in my own life that God is first. Uh, I have a dear friend. And one of the things this dear friend does is every year, um, as the different crops come around, um, strawberries in the spring or, or peaches or apples. Uh, he's so incredibly generous with everything God has given him. And I will usually find a, a small basket of the first things from his harvest on my table or in my office. And, and, it, and, it bless, and not only is it delicious, but it really blesses my heart because the heart with which it is given is a heart of, I want to recognize that everything, beginning with the first bit of this, belongs to God. That's a heart of generous, joyous, proportional, and regular thanksgiving to God because God is so worthy of our worship. God is so worthy of our worship. We can trust him, church family. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your family. You can trust him with your home. You can trust him with your very life because he has given his life for you, the greatest gift anyone could ever give. Pray with me, please. Our Father and our King, we thank you that you have been so generous to us. Father, forgive me for many times walking with a stingy spirit. Many times wanting to cultivate a, a bigger nest egg rather than asking you, God, how would you use this for your kingdom? God, we know saving is important to you. We know that wise financial stewardship and caring for our family is important to you. Those are all good things. Um, but God, I, I pray that you would reveal to us where our hearts are at with this. You said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God, for some of us, our treasure is easily placed on the things that are momentary. Lord, help us to treasure the things which are eternal. Help us to trust you. Whatever that next step is for us, God, for, for some of us, it may be giving to a local church for the very first time this week. God, it may be um, seeing the opportunities to, to help the poor within our community more intentionally. God, wh whatever those things are, help us to join your work, what you're doing, because you are good and you are a gracious God. May our church, Lord, be marked by generosity. 
Because in giving God, in giving, we find it is definitely more blessed to give than to receive. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.